0: To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor.
1: Hello, listening friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Jim Lewis and Jim Springer were identical twins that were separated at four weeks of age and then raised in different families. After some searching in 1979, the twins were finally reunited at the age of 39. When they got to talking, they were astonished to discover how many ways that they had lived identical lives. For example, they both suffered from tension headaches, they were prone to nail-biting, they smoked Salem cigarettes, they drove the same type of Chevrolet car, and even vacationed at the same beach in Florida. Both had similar jobs in security. Jim Lewis was a security guard, while Jim Springer had been a deputy sheriff. Both married and divorced women named Linda. They both remarried women named Betty. And they both had a childhood dog named Toy. They both had a proclivity for math and woodworking but were terrible at spelling. And they both named their sons James Allen, though one spelled Allen a little differently. That's so bizarre. It almost sounds like they were predestined to live a certain way.
2: (laughs) That's right, Pastor Duck. It's odd when you hear about these stories of people that just lived lives that were so similar to one another. And you wonder, wow, was there somebody coordinating events or putting this all together? Now, of course, there's genetics connected with that and certain personality traits. But sometimes people ask the question, you know, are there some predestinated to... Be saved, and are there some predestinated to be lost, and uh, can we do anything about our eternal destiny? Yeah, you hear a story like this, and you might think,
1: well, we have no choice; it's all controlled by our genes. But this is one of uh, those—it's a rare coincidence. This is not always the case with twins that are separated. Sometimes their lives are entirely different, even though they're identical twins. But um, there are people who think that you know our our lives are all mapped out by God, and we really don't have a choice. Uh, but the Bible tells us that people's eternal destiny will largely hinge on how they respond to the sacrifice that Jesus has made. A number of verses illustrate this, but even if you go to one of the last verses in the Bible, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, 17, it says, and this is a great invitation that closes the book, And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him come and take the water of life freely. This makes it pretty clear that the invitation to be saved is not only restricted for a few people, but it says whoever hears, whoever reads the words of this book. And um, I know there's a number of places where the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. Well, if some are going to perish, that obviously is not his will. Mm -hmm. That means not everything that happens in this world is the will of God you know, some of our uh, Muslim friends, whatever happens, they say, well, oh, it must be the will of Allah. But no, not the, the sin and misery in this world is not God's will. That's why in the Lord's prayer, we say, thy will be done. You know, why would we pray for something that's already going to happen anyway? Mm-hmm. So we're praying for God's will because a lot of things that happen are not God's will. And, um, of course, Joshua made a statement that, uh, explain we all have a choice
2: that's right one of the uh, key verses here it's an appeal to to receive the lord just before the children of israel would enter into the promised land joshua said to the people if it seems evil to you this is joshua twenty four fifteen. if it seems evil to you to serve the lord choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods that your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the amorites in whose land you dwell But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So there you see a choice. We need to choose Mm -hmm. who we wish to serve. Now, Pastor Doug, there might be some confusion because you read in Paul's letters, sometimes he talks about God predestinating, and people are wondering, is that referring to a person's eternal destiny? But the confusion is there. It is true that God predestinated the nation of Israel to be the nation that would be the one through whom the Messiah would come. Right. That was a choice God made. It didn't have anything to do with the Israelites being better than anyone else. But that's not referring to individual choice or individual destiny. It's referring to the nation. And God raises nations up and God takes nations down. Uh, maybe in that sense, you can you can understand the predestination of God. But individually, we have that freedom to cho- to choose.
1: Right. Some people think, for instance, Judas. Since prophecy said Judas would betray Jesus, Judas had no choice. No, God knew what was going to happen, but ultimately it was Judas that made the series of choices that led to his very bad choice, his uh, decision to betray Jesus. Now, we've got a free offer, I think, that helps explain this with all the scriptures.
2: We do. It's a popular book. Folks want to learn more about the subject. It's called, Can a Saved Man Choose to be Lost? This is our free gift to anyone who will call and ask. All you need to do is just call the number 800 835 6747 And you can ask for the book It's called Can a Saved Man Choose to be Lost? Again, that's 800-835-6747 And tell them you're listening To Bible Answers Live And you like the free gift It's called Can a Saved Man Choose to be Lost? Another number that you might want to write down Is our phone line here to the studio With your Bible question The number for that Is 800-463-7297 800-463-7297 We've got some phone lines that are still open. This is a good time for you to pick up your phone and, and give us a call. We also, Pastor Doug, want to greet those who are listening on Amazing Facts television. We also have folks who have tuned in on social media, on the Doug Bachelor Facebook page, on the Amazing Facts Facebook page. And I believe you also are live at the Amazing Facts YouTube uh, channel. So many ways that you can participate. And of course, those who are listening on land-based radio stations and also satellite radio. So welcome to the program. That's right. You can listen, you
1: can watch and listen, and we invite either. But uh, before we go to our questions, we're going to ask God for his guidance.
2: Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Father, once again, we are grateful for the opportunity to be able to open up your word and study. And Lord, we do recognize that this Bible, this book that you have given us is a powerful book containing truth. And it's your book, so we ask for your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to guide us as we uh, study together. Be with those who are listening, watching, wherever they might be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are ready to go to the phone lines. The first caller that we have is uh, Sophia listening in Tennessee. Uh, Sophia, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. And your question?
3: Is the United States in the book of Daniel? And if so, where are the passages?
4: Thank you.
1: All right, good question. Now you do find the United States mentioned in the Book of Revelation. Is the second beast you find in Revelation chapter thirteen? But um, Pastor Ross, I guess the um, the events connected with the United States would be in the last, following the last beast that you find in Daniel. Well, it would be in following the iron and the clay. Mm-hmm. It's not specifically mentioned, but it'd probably be you know, following those ten toes. Maybe it's That's the toenails. Right. Huh? Just prior
2: to the stone that comes and That's strikes right. the image. It seems that the focus uh, of the book of Daniel deals more with kingdoms that, of course, from Daniel's time, lead you all the way up to the second coming of Christ but most of the kingdoms referred to has to do with Europe or influencing the land of Israel, Mm -hmm. whereas we find an expansion of that, of course, in the book of Revelation. Revelation 13, in particular, there is a beast power that arises, the second beast, and that is the United States in prophecy. Yeah. By
1: the time you get to the book of Revelation, the the prophets seem to go into more detail. In fact, it even happens, and I know I've heard you say this uh, many times, that what's happening in the prophecies of the Bible is it's stating the truth then as it goes on, it expands, mm-hmm. and you're getting the same truth from different angles. Uh, Daniel 2, you've got those five major kingdoms being Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the divisions of the Roman Empire. And you also get that, well, it's in Daniel 7, it's in Daniel 8, it's in Daniel 9, 10, 11. And each succeeding vision seems to expand and give more detail.
2: Now, we do have a magazine that are amazing facts. It's called the US in Bible Prophecy. This is one of our most popular sharing magazines that we have. And uh, we will make that available to anyone who calls and asks. The number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the magazine. It's called the US in Bible Prophecy. It's quite an in-depth study, Pastor Doug, but it looks at these various prophecies. And it's, it's really inspiring. Read it for yourself and then give it to a friend. It's a very important topic. Amen. All right, thank you for your call. The next caller that we have is uh, Diana listening in Texas. Well, Diana, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you, pastors. Good evening. Um, My question is, um, in the book of Mark, when Jesus healed the leper, he asked him not to tell anybody, and he's done that a couple of times, and I just wanted to know why he would do that.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because in almost every case, he said, don't tell anybody, and they did. Uh, You know, if you've been blind or you've been a leper and you've had all that misery and then all of a sudden you're healed, it is hard to keep the good news to yourself. Uh, I think one reason Jesus did that is because there were already enemies that were very jealous and uh, looking for some reason to obstruct his ministry. And uh, he knew that when he did these especially um, powerful miracles, that as word about that spread it just intensified the persecution and the scrutiny. And he wanted to help these people, but he didn't want to uh, see the word limited. And he said, no, don't mention that. Also tells you about the humility of Christ, and it also reminds us that it's hard to keep good news to yourself. So uh, I would think that that would be uh, the main reason he was just trying to prevent too much resistance so early in his ministry.
2: Although the time does come where Jesus talks to his disciples and he says to them, what you hear in secret you blazed from the rooftops. So yeah. it was clear that there was going to be a time when everything that Jesus did was to be loudly proclaimed. And then by the time he healed Lazarus right
1: by Jerusalem, it was front page news.
2: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And Christ didn't hide that yeah. in any means. Well, thanks for your call, uh, Deanna. We've got uh, Angela listening from Illinois. Angela, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, Pastor Doug and Pastor Ross. Um, I wanted to understand in Chapter Eleven of daniel it talks about the king of the north and south so can you just tell me who was the king of the north and south
1: well now just i'll let you know i'll do my best Uh, but if you ask 10 different pastors what they believe about daniel you know 10 and 11 and even into 12 you'll get 12 different answers um it's it's a uh it's a very it's probably the most um complex and detailed prophecy in the Bible. I can't think of one that maybe some in Ezekiel or Zechariah, but this is pretty complex. My belief is, and I think Pastor Ross would agree with me, the uh, king of the north would be what we call the papacy. And because it's uh, the papacy as a, as a power, a religious power, is outlined in both Revelation 17 during the same time period and in the other chapters of Daniel. Uh, the King of the South is where you're going to find some uh, difference of belief. Some believe that it's uh, uh, atheism. Uh, some believe it's the Kingdom of Turkey. Uh, some believe it's Islam. Now, I am probably more inclined to believe that the King of the South is Islam. And I could be wrong, but my reason for that is you see these two great powers that are at war, and the two biggest religions in the world today are Christianity and Islam, and uh, I can just see where that would be the catalyst for a great battle that would bring about the final events. So, yep, got to keep studying. Uh, like I said, I'm not dogmatic about that.
2: Mm-hmm. I think you're right, Pastor. You know, if you look at the difference between the king of the north and the king of the south, there is significance geographically. Mm-hmm. So you have Rome, which of course, yeah, pagan Rome, which gives way to papal Rome. Mm-hmm. Of course, papal Rome is still very much active and powerful even today. And then there is a power or an entity standing in opposition to papal Rome, preventing papal Rome from having worldwide influence. Well, the Muslim religions does seem to fit into that. So I think there's something there. Uh, But also atheism could play. There's a number of, of interesting things. Some of what we read in Daniel chapter 11 is yet in the future. Right. So when these events begin to take place, I think it'll make a lot, clearer understanding a lot of chapter 11 is historic and has already been fulfilled but when you get down to the last few verses or starting around 43 i believe mm-hmm. somewhere in there it's still referring to events in the future so right. we'll have to see see what happens
1: that's right uh, jesus said when these things come to pass then you will know and so someone once said the prophecy is best understood looking back um mm-hmm. and
2: so uh, we'll go oh yeah god was right on yeah <laughs> All right, thanks for your call, Angela. We've got uh, Aaron listening from New York. Aaron, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, pastors.
2: Hi, thanks for calling. My
3: question is um, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to fast and be tempted by the devil. But in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus mentions in, chap- in uh, verse 13, uh, lead us not into temptation. What does he mean by that?
1: Yeah, uh, when you say the Lord's Prayer in that verse, it's, we commonly say in English, lead us not into temptation, it almost creates a word picture that God is wanting to put a leash around our necks and walk us off into temptation. We're begging him not to. But then you read in James, God tempts no man, and uh, God would never deliberately try to entice us to evil. God is not setting up a sting operation through entrapment. Um, sometimes if we drive the Lord away, we'll be left to our own devices and we will be subject to the devil's temptations. But um, really, the way the Lord's Prayer would probably be more accurately stated is lead us away from our naturally tendency, tendency to evil. Now, when you read where it tells about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, he was led of the Spirit. Well, when Jesus was baptized, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the Christ or the anointed. And he went into the wilderness to pray about his mission. So he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Well, why he's there, he is severely tempted of the devil not to go through with his mission. But the, the Spirit was not saying, okay, let's go get you tempted if we can. The Spirit was really leading him into the wilderness to pray about his mission. And there the devil tempted him. And he, of course, resisted and overcame the devil. So God allowed that, no doubt. But it wasn't though the the Spirit was tempting him. God would never tempt with evil.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, we've got a book, Pastor Doug, called Tips for Resisting Temptation. It's got a number of good Bible uh, scripture there. And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number to call is 800-835-6747. That is our resource phone line. You can ask for the book. It's called Tips for Resisting Temptation. Now, it's not a sin to be tempted, and the Bible makes that clear. But when temptation comes, how do we overcome? The Bible calls us to be overcomers. We can be overcomers. And there's some wonderful promises in the Bible that we can claim. So call and ask for that book. You will be blessed. Next caller that we have is, uh, let's see, we've got Doug listening in Colorado. Doug, welcome to the program.
3: Well, good evening, pastors. Um, good evening. My question might seem a little unusual. There is a country song That speaks of the day that Christ was born on earth and it talks about the angels crying because they knew what he was what was before him is there any biblical evidence to that I know the only thing I've read in the Bible that I can think of about angels emotions were sorrowful but is there anything to that
1: you know it actually tells us that when Jesus was born that the angels met the shepherds and said, rejoice, Uh, we've got good news. And the angels were singing, and they said, peace on earth, joy. And so angels definitely have emotions. Uh, You know, I believe angels are grieved when we sin. I'm sure angels were crying when Jesus was on the cross. And I might be missing something, Pastor Ross, but I don't think there's any verse that says angels were crying at his birth. Actually, sounds like it was the opposite. They it was. Rejoicing. Good goodwill right. towards men.
2: <laughs> seems like there was a great joy because it was through the birth of Christ that salvation would come. So, you know, I don't know if the angels fully understood everything that was going to happen. I mean, I'm sure they understood that Christ's mission would involve sacrifice and suffering. But they, like us, witnessed this great plan of redemption play out for the salvation of mankind. And um, I'm sure they would have willingly come down to rescue Jesus from the cross. Yeah. But they knew it was not part of God's plan.
1: But I even think for the angels, the idea of the incarnation, how God the Son could become a human was both mysterious and a wondrous thing for mm-hmm. them. And they beheld that and thought, wow, what condescension, the humiliation of Jesus that going from God to being a creature. Um, I think that they, that left them in marvel at his love. Mm-hmm. But this, boy, this is good news for man. Yeah. So yeah. they couldn't
2: wait for it to, to
1: announce that their king had come.
2: All right, next caller that we have is Michael listening in uh, California. Michael, welcome to the program.
3: Um, why did um, the um, Nehemiah uh, of about um, Jerusalem?
1: Yeah, well, because uh, during the time when the Babylonians, they were enemies of Israel, they had conquered Israel, and they destroyed the wall. So when after the Babylonian kingdom fell, the Persian king let the Jews go back to Jerusalem, but the city walls were broken down, and they had no protection from their enemies. These cities, they needed walls so the citizen citizens could go in and be fortified and protected against the enemies if there was a war, and they had no protection. And of course, the temple was there, all their leadership was there and a capital needed security and they, they needed to build up the walls
2: and there was a prophetic significance to them building the wall because according to Daniel there was a time period that would begin the prophetic time period begins with the restoration and the rebuilding not only of the temple but of the city the Jerusalem the walls, yeah. which required the walls and mm-hmm. uh, you know that was 457 BC very significant date in that time prophecy that's right good point thank you michael hope that helps appreciate your question We've got Danny listening in uh, Arizona. Danny, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, how you doing, pastors? Doing great. Awesome, awesome. Well, my question comes from Colossians two sixteen. So, a friend of mine came to me and said, "Hey, so guess what? When I read this verse, he said um, that the Sabbath no longer applies after in the New Testament. Well, I'm make like, what? That doesn't make sense."
1: Well, first of all, I don't know what version you're reading, but if you look in the King James or the New King James, most versions, it says, let no one judge you in food or drink or regard to festival or new moon or Sabbaths. Now, the seventh day of the week Sabbath is completely unique and different from the Jewish annual Sabbaths that came during the Exodus, and they were connected with the temple and its services. The Sabbath at the end of every week is a day of rest for mankind that's why jesus said the sabbath was made for man not for jews that happened before adam and eve ever sinned god made the sabbath it was part of his perfect plan when paul is talking here he's talking about these ceremonial sabbaths they were annual feasts and there were other days they called sabbaths that had nothing to do with the weekly day of rest so paul is addressing the ceremonial laws that were nailed to the cross it has nothing to do with blotting out one of the Ten Commandments. And by the way, why of all the Ten Commandments, why would God take the one commandment that begins with the word remember and say, now that's the only one you're supposed to forget? That wouldn't make any sense. And of course, do people still need a weekly day of gathering and worship? And this is what the Sabbath was all about. So yeah, Colossians 2, talking about annual Sabbaths. That's why it's plural there in the original Greek.
2: I think uh, the very next verse helps to explain that a little bit. It says, which are a shadow of things to come. So, of course, if you look at the festivals, you look at the new moon or the monthly services or programs, Mm -hmm. the ceremonial Sabbath, it was always pointing forward to Christ and the plan of redemption, whereas the seventh-day Sabbath points back to creation. Right. So that verse helps to explain that a little bit. They were
1: shadows, the uh, ceremonial Sabbath. Hope that helps. Now, we have a book. They're called Feast Days and Sabbaths.
2: Yes, that's right. And we'll be
1: happy to share you a free copy of that.
2: To receive that, just call the number 800-835-6747, and you can ask for the book Feast Days and Sabbaths, and we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks, 800-835-6747. Next caller that we have is David, listening in uh, California. David, welcome to the program.
3: Yeah, Thank you, Pastor Doug Yeah. Yeah, My question is about tithing, I'm a little different spin here, about giving tithes to churches that have the Sabbath on Sunday, believe in, you know, you die, you go to heaven. A lot of pandemic had a lot of churches and states come together. I just can't see a support in a church when so many of them are teaching different things in the Bible. That I don't think are correct.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I would say first and foremost that when it comes to tithe, we uh, if you're attending a church— then you would want to support that church from which you are drawing benefit. And uh, uh, God outlines a plan in the scriptures, and by the way, we'll send you a study guide that has a number of scriptures on tithing. Tithing is a biblical principle, not just for the Old Testament. Tithing predated the time of Moses. Talk about Jacob paying tithe, and Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek, and um, you know, it's, it's the only plan that God has in the Bible for the ongoing support of ministry um, you do need to you know, make sure you're belonging to a bible-based church and or denomination and so it, when you're supporting it with your presence with your influence with your gifts you want to be supporting the proclamation of truth and so that's a, an important principle but yeah we'll be happy to send that to you or anyone that has questions and what does the bible say about you know, tithe and offerings, and and, uh, how does a New Testament Christian respond to that?
2: The number to call is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the Amazing Facts study guide. It's called In God We Trust, and we'll be happy to send you that lesson on what does the Bible have to say about money and how are we to use our money. Again, it's 800-835-6747. Ask for the study guide, In God We Trust.
1: Also, uh, we have the best half of the program still coming. If you want to call in with your Bible questions, simply call 800 god Says. That's 800-463-7297. And you can not only listen on the radio, but we are streaming on the Internet. Uh, These programs are going out on the Amazing Facts Facebook page, the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, the YouTube page, and Amazing Facts Television. And uh, we've got some announcements we'll share with you soon about how The Amazing Facts Bible Answers Live program is going to be going forth onto some other major networks we're very excited about. But we're just taking a break right here. going to get a drink of water, come back to answer more of your Bible questions. So don't go anywhere.
0: Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly.
5: Have you ever skipped a meal? Not a bad idea if you need to watch your waistline. But there's a heavenly food you should never skip, God's Word. Yet, how can you dive in daily when you're so busy? Amazing Facts has you covered, and it's as easy as signing up for our daily devotional and verse of the day, both sent directly to your inbox, ready to bless, inspire, and inform you. To start receiving the Amazing Facts daily devotional and verse of the day, visit AmazingFacts.org and click on Bible Study in the main menu. You'll be glad you did.
0: Find out what the critics are raving about. Top scholars and theologians from around the country come together to reveal the hidden history of the book of Revelation. With powerful reenactments and incredible visual effects, this 95-minute masterpiece brings to life the book of Revelation like never before. Revelation is no longer a mystery. Get your copy today. Visit iTunes or afbookstore.com.
5: Have you always wanted to be a Bible expert but never knew where to start? Are you searching for answers that will bring you joy, peace, and fulfillment? Then you'll love the Amazing Facts, historicals of Prophecy Bible Study Experience, now available in 18 languages, featuring 24 easy-to-read lessons. The Storicals are packed with Scripture and step-by-step guidance that will give you absolute confidence about what the Bible actually says about the Second Coming, the Rapture, the Antichrist, and the Mark of the Beast. You'll also get the truth about hell and the afterlife and practical insight about grace, salvation, and how to truly live like Jesus. Even better, it's absolutely free at storicals.org. So don't miss out. Get started on your Bible study adventure today at storicles.org. Written by the hand of God and spoken with His voice, some words will never fade.
0: Get Pastor Doug Batchelor's 12-part sermon series on the Ten Commandments by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live.
1: Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live, and we're going to be going back to the phones in just a moment. If you've tuned in along the way, this is a live, international, interactive Bible study. And you're invited to call in with your Bible questions. The phone number, if you're calling North America, 800 god says That's 800-463-7297. And my name is Doug Batchelor.
2: My name is John Ross, and we've got a number of folks waiting on the phone. So we're going to go to Philip, who's listening in Texas. Philip, welcome to Bible Answers Live.
3: Hey, good evening, pastors. Evening. Hey, my question is on um, Job forty-two seven. The Lord tells Job's friends that they have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, I know they had a mistaken idea that Job must have sinned to cause all the calamity on him. Is that what God's talking about, or was there something else they said that was not right about God.
1: Well, most of what Job's friends said was absolutely true in a general sense. They were talking about the ways that God judges the wicked and how it's so much better to be righteous. But they were wrong about Job. Job's particular sufferings were a, u- a unique experience. You know, sometimes God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, good and bad people experience trials bad people sometimes experience blessings. And this is what Job is saying in his response is that he's seen wicked people look like they're prospering and he's seen righteous people look like they're suffering. His friends are saying, oh, God, you know, God blesses the righteous and he punishes the wicked. And this is sort of the dialogue that goes on through the book. So what Job's friends said was wrong was accusing Job of guilt. They are saying, Job, no way would anyone go through all of the mishap that you've experienced unless he had done something to provoke God. And Job said, no, I've been faithful. And in the end, his, God says, you know, your friends have not spoken what was right. They were sort of prejudging Job. Mm-hmm. And Job's like a type of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus went through all this suffering, not because of his sin, but for our sake.
2: And if you were to judge Christ just based on suffering, you'd say he must be a great sinner because look at all of the terrible things that happened. You know, he's nailed to the cross and he's deserted by his disciples. They even said that to him while he was on the cross. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They said, if, you know,
1: if God's with you, then why is this happening?
2: Right. All right. Good question, Philip. Thank you. Uh, Joel is listening in North Carolina. Joel, welcome to the program.
1: Hi, pastors.
2: Hi. Thanks for calling.
3: I have a, a question about the remnant. I was wondering is the remnant that Jesus is coming back
1: for, it's people. It's not a denomination, right? Correct. Now, yeah, it does. But let let me clarify just so that we don't misunderstand. In the Old Testament, Joel, would you agree that God had a particular people, a nation he was working through? Uh, Namely, that would be Israel. Uh, Does that make sense? but not every israelite was saved and not every gentile was lost you still with me yeah so in the last days is god working through a particular movement yes does that mean everybody that is a member of that movement is saved no and does that mean everybody who is not is lost no Uh, you know the lord has his people And, you know, that's why Jesus said, many will come from the east and the west and sit down in the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, uh, you know, God does work through nations. I think God especially rose up the United States to be sort of a beachhead for great international missions, Uh, you know, when it was established. That doesn't mean every American is a Christian or every American is saved, but God certainly worked through the nation just as God raised up Israel for a uh, particular purpose. They were to be, you know, even Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews. That didn't mean every Jew was saved. And likewise, Paul says, to Israel were committed the oracles of God. So we do have a book actually that talks, do we have a book that talks about the remnant per se, Pastor? We've got one
2: called The Bride of Christ. Yeah, there you go. About uh, how God is working through his people. And the verse for that, Pastor, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it says, And the dragon, Satan, was enraged with the woman, the church, And he went to make war with the remnant or the rest of offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So here you have God's people in the last days. They keep his commandments. They have the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon, Satan, is enraged with them. Well, the study guide, The Bride of Christ, has a lot more information about Revelation and about God's Mm -hmm. people in the last days. And um, if you'd like to receive that, just call and ask. The number to call is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the study guide. It's called The Bride of Christ. And we'll be happy to send it to anyone who calls and asks. All right. Who, who's next, then? We've got Ryan, and Ryan is listening in Tennessee. Ryan, welcome to the program. Hey, good evening.
3: Sure. Hi, I was putting my 7-year-old daughter to bed tonight, and she reminded me about the show um, this evening. So she decided to watch the show tonight and stay up late. And I thought I'd call him with a question. And it's about Revelation 21.1. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and earth had disappeared and the sea was gone. I'm curious, uh, is that a specific sea that's being referenced there? Or is that the entire, like all the oceans on the earth, will they be gone?
1: Well, you know, when you think about an ocean, it's interesting. We've got the Great Great Lakes. And uh, we have Great Lakes here in North America that are bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Well, they call the Sea of Galilee a sea. And it's full of fresh water. And then you've got one of the Great Lakes, I think it's superior, is salt water. I forget which one. And it's salt water. So the terms are sort of interchangeable. I think God is saying in the New Earth, the typical sea that we have now is not going to hurt people's eyes. It's not going to be salty and undrinkable. Uh, And there's not going to be a large, vast, expanse of water that will separate people. There will definitely be bodies of water because it says there's a river that is flowing from the throne of God. So if you've got a river, rivers flow into lakes or seas. So I just think we're not going to have that big, um, uh, briny, salty sea
2: separating the people of the world.
1: Okay. All right. Hey, thanks. Good question, Ryan.
2: All right. Next caller that we have is Brittany listening in California. Uh, Brittany, welcome to the program. Yeah, my question is, what
3: does the, Bible say about
2: college degrees? Uh, well,
1: I, I, think, I think it tells us that um, they ask Jesus, or they ask others, how does Jesus know all these things having not learned? And I think that what well, the phrase they, they, they're using there is like saying, he, he doesn't seem to have any formal education. Now, God can work with people that may not have formal education, but formal education is very valuable. I don't think there's a scripture. Uh, Solomon, I've done a lot of graduations where I talk about Solomon's statement on wisdom. Get wisdom with your getting, get understanding. So the Bible is very clear. He wants us to use our minds and to learn all we can because you'll be more productive. But I don't know if you find the word college degree.
2: No, because the Bible gives you the principle that whatever you find to do, do it with all your might. In other words, do the best job you can. And Pastor Doug, if you're sick and you're going to go see a doctor or a nurse, you sure hope they... They've done some education. They know what they're doing. So I think there's nothing wrong for Christians to learn and to be the best that they can be in whatever area God is leading them in.
1: Yeah, you know, you think about the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went through intensive training for three and a half years about uh, so that they could stand in the king's palace. And because of their education, and they were able to speak uh, the language of the Chaldeans as well as Aramaic and Hebrew, they were able to do a lot more, and God was able to use them. So, even though it was not the uh, it was not a Hebrew education, they had both actually, didn't they? It the Lord was able to use them because they had that additional wisdom. So, college is good. Learning is good.
2: Pick a good college. That's right. Not everything you learn in college is good. But. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next caller that we have is Tim, listening in Washington. Tim, welcome to the program.
4: Yeah, yeah. This is uh, the truck driver that went and saw you in uh, Vegas that time and that was the best experience I've ever had, but uh so one of my other truck driving friends, I, I always make sure that this truck shuts down Friday night and doesn't move till Saturday night to the earliest the best I can, so I was explaining to him about the importance of taking the Sabbath and stuff like that and he doesn't he, he says that um, it doesn't, you know, like, it, well, the time that we live in now, he can't do that. But also, so my question is, I also went into the Three Angels message about... Um, well let,
1: let, Hey, Tim, let me ask you a question, if I could. And by the way, thanks again for coming to the meetings there in Vegas. Is your friend a Christian?
4: He says that he is, but he does not go to church.
1: Well, you know, it seems to me that if you're going to work on a person, there are varying degrees of uh, commitment. And, you know, the first thing a person would want, I wouldn't go to a person and talk to him about the Sabbath if they've not yet made a complete surrender to Jesus. You know, Uh, the first and foremost is that a person accepts Christ and the sacrifice and you want to focus on those things. And then as they make their commitment to Jesus, they're going to say, you know, I want to obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then as they learn those things, they're wanting to do what pleases the Lord at that point. So it's sort of progressive in that way.
4: That is why I was talking to him about the Sabbath is because we were, you know, he says, yes, you're supposed to keep what is written down on the stones. And I tell him, well, the Sabbath commandment is. But my question was, so he believes that you can have the mark of the beast, but still go to heaven.
1: Okay, let's talk about that. Um, you know, if there's one thing that's exceedingly clear in the Bible is if you read in Revelation chapter 13, it says, for instance, verse nine. Sorry, Revelation 14, verse nine. Then the third angel followed them with a loud voice. "If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark. On his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It makes it pretty clear that the wicked, um, that those that receive the mark of the beast receive the fate of the wicked. It's uh, completely out of God's will. They're kind of making themselves enemies of God and they receive some of the most severe judgments mentioned in Scripture.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, we do have a study guide talking about the three angels message, and it's called Messages from Space, Angel Messages from Space. And one of those messages is talking about the mark of the beast. So Mm -hmm. we'll be happy to send that to anyone wanting to learn more about the subject. The number to call is 800-835-6747. You can ask for the Amazing Facts study guide called Angel Messages from Space, and you will be blessed by reading that. Thanks, Tim. we got Will listening in Canada. Will, welcome to Bible Answers Live.
3: Hello, pastors.
2: Yes. Hi, Will.
3: Yeah. My question is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Uh, I-, I would like to know, does it still apply to us today, people living in the end time, especially be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth? Does it still apply to us? I believe that we are living... Uh, really at the end of time.
1: Yeah, you know, you need to mix this verse. Well, first of all, keep in mind that when God first tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful, uh, multiply, and fill the earth, the word replenish is also the word fill. Uh, He wanted to populate the world with the the humans that he made in his image. Uh, But clearly, you know, by the time you get to the flood, man had become so wicked that God depopulated the earth. And then after Noah and his family were saved, he again tells them, be fruitful and fill the earth. Well, the earth is getting pretty full. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, speaking of this great time of trouble, he says, woe to those who are with child and nursing in those days. On the way to the cross, he talked to the women that were weeping for him and said, don't weep for me, weep for yourself because the days are coming where where you're going to say, blessed are the wombs that did not bear and the breasts that did not nurse. And um, because... And even Paul said during this great Roman persecution, he said, it might be better not to marry uh, because you get married and in the progression, you bring children into a world where Christians were severely persecuted. So I think you need to take a lot of things into account. And uh, I would far be it for me to tell a couple, uh, you know, you shouldn't get married or shouldn't have children. That's something every individual needs to pray about. But there will come a time in history where it's going to be uh, probably prudent not to mm-hmm. have a lot of children.
2: All right. Thanks for your call, Will. We've got uh, Theo listening in Toronto. Theo, welcome to the program.
3: Hello. Hi. Hi. My question is, um, what does the what should you do to not dwell on certain continuous problems that occur? So um, a couple of months ago, I graduated and... Um, I was playing basketball and I tore my meniscus and ACL. So mm. I just wanted to know what should one do to not focus on the past and how to navigate continuous trials.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I will pray that uh, your, your knee heals up. I know people that have had that problem, and, and they did heal. It, it, hopefully you're, you're younger and, and uh, it'll get better. But, um, you know, whenever you go through a trial – uh, know that God, for a believer, God can use every hardship and every trial in a redemptive way, and he can turn it for good. I mean, you might find, well, because you've, you've torn your knee, but now you're going to take some time and you're going to start studying and learn a new language that will bless you the rest of your life. And you'll look back and say, wow, I was glad I hurt my knee. I never would have learned that new language. I'm just making that up. But God can work things for good. And so uh, we do have... Um, you know, some encouraging things online that talk about how to uh, how to endure trials. I have a new book I've written that talks about how to live in peace in a world full of worry. And, um, you know, there's a lot of trials in the world and people are wanting to know, how can I have peace in spite of my trials? And that's kind of what you're
2: asking right now. And I don't think, pass it out, we have that book available to no, you. No, well, they, it's at the Amazing Facts bookstore. It is. Just go to the Amazing facts, uh, you know, you'd have to buy website. that one. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, next caller that we have is um, Susie, listening from Colorado. Susie, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, before I ask you my question, I just want to say because of you and many prayers and the working of the Holy Spirit, uh, my son and grandson were baptized.
0: Amen. So Amen. I just
1: That's encouraging. appreciate
3: your program. A double blessing. Uh, Praise My Lord. Question, Yes, it is. Uh, my question is Isaiah 14, 13. Um, Satan is saying, I want to sit on the mountain of the meeting in the sides of the north, and I don't understand any of that.
1: Yeah, uh, well, and this is a passage in Isaiah, and for our friends that are uh, listening, uh, and you said Isaiah 14, 15?
3: For, uh, Isaiah 14, 13.
1: Oh, 13. All right, let me read this for our friends. This is a um, a prophecy in the Bible where Isaiah, he starts out talking about a king And then he transitions to the power, the evil power behind the king, which is the devil. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Uh, People in the ancient world, and even people today, you you say you're in Australia, they call it down under. Uh, You look at the globe and you figure north is top or up. And even the ancients used to look towards the north star and... uh, It was considered the heights of the heavens. And so when the devil is saying he wanted to sit in the farthest parts of the north, it's basically saying he wanted to be on the top of the pile. He wanted the highest position. And you keep reading. It says, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. But you will be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. This is a devil wanting the position of God, the highest position. And the farthest sides of the north were, North was sort of an ancient way of saying that.
2: You know, we do have a study guide that talks about um, the origin of sin. It's called, Did God Create a Devil? And it actually gets into this very passage in Isaiah chapter 14. We'll be happy to send that to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And you can ask for the study guide, Did God Create a Devil? And I'll look at these different Old Testament passages, also New Testament it talks about our adversary, the devil, and where he came from. It's an informative study. Thank you for your call, um, Susie. We've got um, Joshua listening in um, Indiana. Joshua, welcome to the program. Hello. Uh,
3: thank you, pastors. Uh, uh, good evening, you. Evening. Uh, my question is, um, who is Lilith? Is she a real... Uh, person from the Bible or she a myth? And while we're on that, how do we know which stories that are connected to, like, the Bible and the Torah, and how do we know if they're mythological or real?
1: Well, first of all, the, the books of Moses have been unanimously believed by Jews and Christians to be a sacred history that is accurate. Lilith is from a tradition that is not found in, in any um Jewish history until much later. I think it was following the Babylonian captivity. And the a lot of myths drew out and I, I think some of the apocryphal books that you might find, for instance, in the Catholic Bible. These don't uh, these are sort of manufactured, uh, but they're nowhere near the level of the the Torah, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. A little for our friends that are listening, There's a legend that, you know, Adam and Eve had, or Adam had a first wife before Eve, and something went south with her. Her name was Lilith, and then later Eve came along. And, you know, that's a, that is a a myth. Don't let, um, don't let the myths, um, don't let the broken glass distract you from the diamond. There's no different, I mean, there's no comparison, I should say, between the scriptures that you would find in the Bible that have stood the test of time and some of these traditions and fables. The Bible is the best-selling book in history, uh, not the legends of Lilith.
2: You know, many of the stories that you read about in the Bible are referenced by other writers That's in the right. Bible, and even Jesus himself, for example, Jonah. Jesus said "As uh, Jonah was in a right. whale three days and three nights. So and Jesus have...
1: doesn't mention Lilith. No, he doesn't. <laughs> but he does talk <laughs> about does Adam and Eve. Peter, <laughs> James, John, uh, the other Bible authors, Isaiah. So you won't have, find any of them referencing that. You do find Ezekiel talking about Job. Mm -hmm. Talks about Noah, talks about Daniel, and so they were real characters. So they cross-reference, as you say, the others.
2: Okay, good question. Next caller that we have is, um, we've got Scott listening in Florida. Scott, welcome to the program.
3: I know you don't have much time, so I'm going to get right to it. Uh, Revelation 3 and 10. Because you have kept my word and patience and endurance... I will keep you from the hour of trial, which is coming to the whole world. I'm having a lot of trouble when I'm talking to people about the pre-tribulation. Yeah, and they keep on bringing this verse up, saying, "Well, yeah, yeah, this is what do you guys what do you have to say about this?" And I said, "Well, it's not going to be a secret rapture. It's going to be at the same time. He's just going to protect us." the Church of Philadelphia, which without getting into the two churches and the candlesticks and right. the two witnesses and all that, how can I kind of snub that without getting into, you know, this big theological speech about, you know, and getting into the 144,000 and the two witnesses? Right. And I, just, I just want a quicker answer, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, the promise that God makes to the Church of Philadelphia is talking about the experience of the Church in a certain age of history. It is not the last age. The last age is when you get to the church of Laodicea. And the idea that God is going to keep us from the hour of temptation, God does keep his people through trial and temptation. God kept Israel through the seven last, or through the 10 plagues that fell on the Egyptians. They were in Egypt during the plagues, but he kept them. He preserved them. So the idea that you can use this verse to say that God is going to rapture the church out of the world because he, loves us too much to allow us to go through trial. That's inconsistent with everything else in the Bible. Uh, Paul said in the book of Acts that uh, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Actually, that's in Timothy. Paul said, uh, uh, it is through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. And uh, Joseph was redeemed through tribulation. You find Job being saved through tribulation. God preserved them through the tribulation, but they experienced some trials. And so God preserving his church does not mean that all that live godly will suffer trials. All that live ungodly will suffer trials. Mm -hmm. So to use this verse to say that this is evidence that God is going to rapture the church out of the world before the time of trouble, Jesus said, he that endures to the end, the same will be saved. Endures what? Well, We're going to be here and there'll be something to endure, but he preserves his people. Uh, Psalm 91 says, No plague will come nigh your dwelling. You'll look to your right and your left, and only with your eyes will you see the destruction of the wicked. You're there, but he's preserving you. So the seven last plagues, very similar to the plagues that fell on Egypt, Israel was in Egypt during the plagues, and he preserved them. We will be preserved during this time of trouble. Don't fear it. But it doesn't mean we're raptured out of the world.
2: And I think specifically you mentioned that, Pastor Doug, the message here is to the Church of Philadelphia. Yeah. There are seven divisions, seven churches that we find in Revelation chapter two and three, and they represent seven time periods of the Christian era. It's very Mm -hmm. clear. There's a number of theologians and Bible scholars that recognize this. And the Church of Philadelphia, their time period ends around 1844. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, we've been here since then, more than 150 years, whatever it's been. It's really to the seventh church, the Church of Laodicea, that we actually have the church at the time of the plagues and the second coming of Christ.
1: Exactly. So hopefully that makes sense and uh, uh, it explains. You know, we do have a book that talks about uh, the rapture and the tribulation, Scott, and we'll be happy to send you a free copy. It's called Anything But Secret.
2: And the number to call for that is 800-835-6747. And again, you can ask for the book called Anything But Secret.
1: There is a rapture. It is not a secret. He's coming like a thief, but the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and elements will melt with fervent heat. Hey, listening friends, it's been a delight. This is one of the fastest hours in the week. We're coming back in a few minutes with rapid-fire Bible questions, signing off with our satellite listeners.
0: Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.
2: Hello, friends. Welcome back again for our uh, internet questions. And thank you for sending in your emails and your questions. Pastor Doug, we've got a number of great questions that's come in, and we're going to see how many we can get to in the next two minutes or so. Uh, so here's question number one uh, Does the Bible say that the wicked will burn up at different lengths of time depending upon? their wickedness
1: it doesn't word it that way but jesus is pretty clear he said a he that knew his master's will and did not do it will be beaten with many stripes of course we're not going to be whipped in heaven it's talking about suffering and he that did not know his master's will and did not do it will be beaten with few stripes and then of course the bible tells us every man is judged according to his works and they're rewarded according to their works And so if there are varying works, there are obviously varying degrees of reward and punishment. So I think the teaching is certainly there
2: in the Bible. Okay, next question that we have, this is from Mary, and she's asking about clarification on paying tithe on Social Security. Do you pay on the gross amount, or what do you do if you're not working?
1: All right, so when you have Social Security, um, if if when you um, are receiving your paycheck, and something's being taken out for Social Security. If you are paying on your gross income during that those working years, you're paying tithe in advance, really, on the Social Security. So when you get your check in retirement, you say, I already paid tithe on that. Now, if you're deducting your Social Security during those working years and saying, I'm not paying tithe on that income because it was deducted, well, then when you get it later, you should probably pay on it. Mm-hmm. And if you wanna play it safe, try and out give the Lord. And you can't do it, friends he right. open the windows of heaven and bless you.
2: Another question that we have, uh, Emily's asking, uh, is there a difference between heaven, paradise, the new Jerusalem? Are they all the same place, or do people go to different places?
1: Well, they're really all the same place. When we think about heaven, uh, we think about the dwelling place of God. It sometimes is called the paradise of God. Paradise is speaking more about the Garden of Eden in the city of God, Sometimes we might say, I'm going to heaven. That's talking about the whole realm of the redeemed, which would be everything up there. And uh, the New Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the, uh, the world made new. Um,
2: you read about in Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. All right, maybe one more quick question, Pastor Doug. How do you love somebody who is unrepentant and have done terrible things? Well, hopefully you
1: can ask for the Spirit to help you do it, because... Uh, While I was yet a sinner, Christ loved me, Mm -hmm. and I was unrepentant for a good part of my life, and He still loved me and forgave me. Ask for His Spirit to do the same. God bless, friends. We'll study again next week.
0: This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live, honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.